Good morning, everyone. Why don't you look at the person beside you and say good morning? Yeah. It's so good to be here today and just to witness our younger generation leading us in worship. Palakpakan naman natin sila. And we have hope for the future because of our younger generation um, building up their faith and uh, growing up in their walk with the Lord. I would like to also thank the pastoral team for inviting me to be here and also for praying for me. Um, the preaching ministry is not just a one-man band. This is actually uh, a product of a team effort, a work of the body of Christ. So we should be praying for our preachers from Sunday to Sunday. And so I thank you for also praying for me as I deliver the word of the Lord this morning. Can we just bow our heads in prayer? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity that we can gather together and ponder upon your word. We recognize that your word is sacred and divine. And this is not just something uh, like an ordinary piece of literature that we can just read, study, and then move on with our lives. This is sacred and divine because your word is coming from you. The origin is divine. And so as we ponder upon your message for all of us today, I pray that your spirit would speak to us, that you would guide us, that you would allow us, Lord, to really devour your word, that our lives will be nourished by your word today in whatever aspect that you would want us to apply your word. God, I pray that you would just come, Lord, and... Um, penetrate and work in our lives today. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. The title for our message today is Genesis 1, Crossroad Moments. And when we talk about crossroad moments, um, we are actually talking about transition periods that we have in our lives. And so we will talk about uh, Genesis 1, in view of the crossroad moments that we have. Okay? And uh, today, we are actually entering into a new era, what we call the new normal era. And uh, in the crossroad moments, we're transitioning into that. Crossroads are transition periods that we are uh, encountering and we are experiencing as we transition from one uh, particular era to another era. And so we are now welcoming the new normal era. And so when we are transitioning, we are experiencing a lot of pressures because we are doing a lot of adjustments as well. Can you say amen to that if you agree? And now, uh, both our public and private schools, we are busy preparing for the new normal. We are busy preparing for the limited face-to-face -face teaching learning modality are you excited parents excitement <laughs> are we all excited maybe we are a little bit anxious we are a little bit excited as well of what will happen we are all busy preparing for this uh, new normal the uh, limited face-to-face -face. but here in Ebenezer uh, the college department we are actually having our limited but full because we are not so many 
in our um, classroom. Whenever we will conduct our face-to-face, it's like also full. But, you know, we are transitioning and maybe perhaps your children are already asking new sets of shoes, okay? Uh, new sets of bags, new sets of uniform because hindi na magkasya yung noon. That was like two years ago. And siguro hindi na siya ganun kaganda, hindi na ganun kaputi, kung puti yung uniform, or hindi na talaga magkasya. Hindi natin alam kung sa bang lumiit yung damit o lumaki tayo dahil sa pandemic. And so we are busy preparing for this. And uh, DepEd and Shed, they have their plan B. No, If ever the worst case scenario, if ever the pandemic would shoot up again, uh, we have the what we call high-breed flexible learning. And so in the new normal, we are actually inventing new words as well. <laughs> we have this hybrid. Do you know what hybrid is? It's uh, high flex. Another word, okay? Uh, high flex is a hybrid. is the online thing, but you also do the uh, offline or the face-to-face. And so can you imagine the pressure and the adjustments that we are going through whenever we have transition period or what we call crossroad moments in our life? I heard one teacher and she said that if ever we will implement the hybrid, the high flex, okay, uh, learning, they would resign because of the pressure that, you know, you mix the old system to the new system. We are having um, what we call the face-to-face as well as the online. Uh, is so difficult. Uh, I pass no judgment on them. It's really hard. It's really difficult as an educator myself. I can resonate with them that it's really difficult. And so that's life. We go through uh, what we call crossroad moments in our life. And our crossroad moments, we always go back to the question, why am I here? Why do I need to go through the hustle and bustle of the normal, new normal education and all? Why do I need to go through this? And in asking that purpose kind of question in our life, we also ask the uncertainty questions. What if? What if I will stay? What if I will move forward? What if this will happen and that will happen? There are uncertainties in the crossroad moments that we are encountering in life. Now the truth is, whether you like it or not, we will all go through crossroad moments. Do you agree? Now a senior high student would always go to the next level. You would move forward and transition to college. A college student would always move forward and transition from a college student to a graduate student. And then after that, he would transition to finding a job, a work. And uh, if you're still single during that time, you would also transition from a single life to a married life. These are crossroad moments that we will all go through life. And if you're married, you plan to, okay, so how many children do we have, do we want to have in our family? And after you have your children and they are already grown-ups, okay, 
How should we guide our children? And in these transition moments or periods that we have, the crossroad moments that we have, we always ask the question, so what is the direction? What is the purpose? And in view of the asking that purpose question or direction question, we also ask the question, what if? What if this will happen? Okay? For the high, uh, junior, senior high students, you ask the question, Okay, after my high school, what course should IT be taking? Would I choose Ateneo, Wimsu, or Ebenezer? What if I will fail in the entrance exam? So what's the next step? And so on and so forth. If you are graduating and you're finding a job already, so you ask the question, so which company do I want to join so that I can practice my job, my vocation? And what if they will not accept me there? What if my boss would be very toxic and all? We have so many what ifs. Alright? And if you're single, you are planning to get married, you ask the question, Sino ba talaga ang para sa akin? Who's the Mr. Right and Miss Right for me? Because you don't want to make a mistake, right? Maraming mga what if. We ask the what if question and uncertainties that we are facing would prompt us to really Okay, saan ba talaga ako patungo? These are anxious moments. Exciting as well, but also anxious moments that we are facing in our life. Now, during these moments, I think, I suggest that the best way for us to navigate para malampasan natin ito is for us to go back on our identity. Everybody say with me, Identity. That's who we are. That's who you are. Because if we lose track of our identity as an individual, and in our context as people of God, corporately people of God, we will not be able to enjoy and endure the process in our crossroad moments. Hello? Yung iba sa inyo, baka nag-iisip na ng mga crossroad moments ninyo, no? mga context. Paano kaya? identity. And for us believers, listen to this, our identity is not primarily the question of who we are, but a question of whose we are. Okay? Let me repeat that. For us believers, we have a different layer attached to who we, our identity, that's who we are, and that is primarily asking the question whose we are. Who we are pertains to the, our identity. Whose we are pertains to our belongingness. To whom do you belong? That's the question that we need to ask. That is exactly what Genesis 1 is all about. Genesis 1 was written to remind the Israelites of who they are by highlighting whose they are. That's Genesis 1. Now, in a minute, we will talk about the aspect of whose they are. In other words, the character of God, their God, their personal Lord and Savior to the Israelites. We'll talk more of that later and I'll try to highlight that based on our passage, Genesis 1. So I want you to open your Bibles with you. If you have the electronic Bible or you have the hard copy Bible, I want you to turn to Genesis 1. 
I want us to go back to that passage and try to highlight the whose they are part, the character of who God is. But before we dive in into this um, whose they are part, I want us to look at the setting of this particular narrative. Because for me, I believe that failure to understand and grasp the setting of Genesis 1-1 would rob us of the opportunity and a better appreciation and the beauty of what Genesis 1 is. Can you imagine? That's the first chapter of the very Word of God. And if you're writing something to someone important, the first stanza or the first paragraph of your composition is the most important thing. And Genesis 1-1 is like that for me. But sometimes we go to Genesis 1-1 and we say, okay, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and so on and so forth. And because sometimes we lose sight of the setting why this particular narrative was written. And in general, it's written to the Israelites to remind them of who they are by highlighting who they are. Let's go to the first setting. And I call it the historical setting. Genesis 1 was addressed to a new generation. Remember, the Israelites, there were old generation and then the new generation has come of people whose ancestors, we're talking of the old generation, rebelled against God on their journey from Egypt to Canaan. This is addressed to a group of people with a long history of rebellion against the Lord. So that's the context and it's from Egypt to Canaan. And we have textual passage to um, inform us this or to um, give us more information about this. In Deuteronomy 31, 24 to 27, it says, after Moses finished writing in a book, by the way, uh, Genesis is part of this one unit called the Pentateuch. The first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they are traditionally attributed to Moses as the author of all this one unit, okay? So when we say the book of the law, it's actually talking about the Penta, meaning five, Pentateuch, five scrolls or five books attributed to Moses. And so we're talking about Genesis 1 as part of the Pentateuch. When he finished writing in a book the words of this law, talking about the, the law, the Pentateuch, from beginning to end, he gave this command to the Levites. They are the caretakers who carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And this is what he says, They take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. There it will remain and a witness against you. Wow, a witness. Why? Verse 27 says, For I know, for I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. Okay, sabi ni saya ning stiff-necked kay gahi og ulo. No, ah, nalibog ko nga anong sa in English nganong liog man ang gahi, no. Dili man ang ulo. But if you have been rebellious against the Lord while I am still alive and with you, how much more Will you rebel after I die? So this is Moses uh, expressing his fatherly heart and concern to his own people.
people. So what is this rebellion all about? Now in Deuteronomy 29, 25 to 26, we can get more information about this rebellion. In verse 25, it says, The answer will be, it is because these people abandoned the covenant. Okay. So they have this covenant between God and the Israelites, and they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the covenant He made with them when He brought them out of Egypt, they went off and worshiped other gods. Okay. So now, they, we had a long history of idol worshippers, Israelites. They would rather worship false gods rather than the true God. The only true God, the God of Israel, and bow down to them, gods they did not know, and gods he did not give them. That's a historical setting. And so we ask this question. I want you to ponder upon this question. Why in the world, okay, if you are addressing this new generation with a history of rebellion, worshipping idols and worshipping false gods, why in the world would you begin with, in the beginning? God created the heavens and the earth. Because this is very important. We need to answer that question for us to be able to see the significance of why this Genesis 1 is written or was written to the Israelites. Let's leave that question hanging for a while. Let's go to the next setting. The geographical setting, Genesis 1, was addressed to a new generation again of people who would be placed in a land full of testings in terms of protection and provision. We're talking now of geography. We're talking of the land that God will give to them, the promised land, the land of Canaan. Now, we need to know more about this land. Now here in Jeremiah 6.22 I think you're familiar with this. You get to hear this once in a while whenever we're talking of the you know, interaction of the Israelites with the other nations. And he says here, this is what the Lord says, Look, an army is coming from the land of the north. A great nation is being stirred up from the ends of the earth. Now, what is that phrase land of the north and armies coming from the north or the land of the north all about who are these people by the way in the history of israel they are the empires who subdued that subdued israel during their time we're talking about the assyrian empire the babylonian empire and the persian empire all right and so we have the map there and we know that these empires, they are not technically from the north. They are at least northeast or east. But whenever they would attack, hello, listen to this. They would conquer another superpower like for example Egypt. Whenever Assyria would battle and declare war with Egypt and they would go to Egypt for battle, they would pass by the fertile crescent. Look at that. Their armies would not really be coming from northeast because they would not pass by the brownish or the yellowish area because that is what? Hello? Desert. Their armies would die there. They would not survive, no? When they would arrive, for example, they are like 
10,000. When they arrive there at Egypt, it will not be 10,000 anymore. Uh, they would die there. Most of the soldiers would die there. So they would pass by the fertile crescent, the green area. Okay? And so they would pass by the land of Israel. Whenever Egypt would retaliate and fight back, they would also pass by the so this is not actually a comfort zone for them. The land of promise was actually a land of faith. That they should practice their faith for them to survive. It's like you are in a super highway where the superpowers of the world are, you know, passing by whenever they would declare war against each other. That's the, that's the reality that they would be facing whenever they would I mean, when, when they would go to the land or to the promised land. Can you imagine? Uh, it's like a war zone area. Because when they would pass by the superpowers, they would not pass by as, you know, pahingi ng tubig, no? Kasi dadaan lang kami, pupunta kami doon sa Egypt. They would ransack everything along the way. That's their strategy before. In order for them to survive the journey, and to win the war. So they need God to protect them every day. And that's the reason why when we read um, the history of the Israel, the prophets, we see them there that God assuring them of protection whenever they have faith in the Lord. Even, the, even though these superpowers would come, they would not be routed or defeated in battle. That's one thing. There's another phrase that at some point, it's not that clear to all of us or to most of us, perhaps. As I have promised to bring you, this is God saying, out of Egypt in Exodus 3, 17, out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites and all the ites here, okay? Hittites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Everybody say, a land flowing with milk and honey. Go. What particular image do we have in mind when we say a land flowing with milk and honey? It's a phrase for productivity, right? It's a productive land. And I would say amen to that. But sometimes we have a different understanding of a productive land. Because we live in a tropical land. Hello? But their land is not the same with our kind of productive land. Yes, it's flowing with milk because there are cows there that would produce milk. Honey, because there are many, many bees there. Okay? Producing honey. But not rain. There is scarcity of water supply, especially during their time. Maybe not today because the Israelites, they are great um, scientists and inventors and they have created a lot of things already for their survival in our generation, but not during their time. Okay? There's scarcity of water. Look at that. Okay? So the, again, the brownish and the yellowish part are dry land and it's mostly half. The pinkish part 
That is where the source of water is located. Look at that. They are so dependent on rain for water supply during this time. Yes, it's a lot of productivity, agree, but not in the way that we imagine it to be like a tropical land. In the same way that we are imagining what a productive land in our um, society here, especially here in the Philippines or here in Mindanao. So we get that picture that, yeah, this is really a test of protection and a test of provision as well. And so we ask the question again, the lingering question we have. Why in the world would you write Genesis 1-1 to a group of people okay, who would be facing this challenge in their life? So it's really important. The details of Genesis 1-1 would point to answering the question of the setting uh, that we are raising here. The third setting is the cultural setting. Genesis 1 was addressed to a generation of people who left a land saturated with pagan mythology to a land also saturated with pagan mythology. Egypt, they have so many gods. Canaan, they have so many gods as well. And if they are not careful, their hearts will be led astray. The culture of the land would really overcome and overpower them. And the culture of the land would allow them to abandon or encourage them to abandon the Lord, their God. Let's try to look at their gods, okay? Egyptian gods. For example, Anubis, Hathor, and Heket. Anubis is the god of the underworld for the Egyptians. And I look at his head. It's an image of a jackal or a dog. Now try to imagine Genesis 1-1, okay? And relate that to this passage. And then we have a Thor, uh, the god of love, with, with the headdress of a sun, okay? A dog is a created being, jackal, in the image of a created being, a sun is also a created being in the image of the sun, a created, you know, heavenly bodies rather. And then um, we have Heket. Um, he is the god of procreation or fertility for the Egyptians with the head of a frog. Again, another animal, a created being. And these are gods. The people would seek after these idols in order to ask for something like fertility, love, and then maybe guidance from the god of the underworld. And then we have from the Canaanites gods, we have El, Atirat, Atirat, and then Baal. El is the supreme god of the Canaanites. Example lang yan, no? Hindi lang yan sila lahat. Sobrang dami nila. Three examples will do. Atirat is the mother of all gods, the consort of El. And then we have Baal, the god of fertility. Now we get to understand, okay, that's the reason why Baal is so famous to the Israelites. Because they're struggling with fertility and productivity in the land as well. Because of the scarcity of water and rain. 
Now we get the idea that, okay, and that's the reason why they are seeking after Baal, especially when we read the Old Testament. And so this is the summary of the setting. A new generation of Israelites faced a crossroad moment when they entered Canaan, a place where their faith would be tested. In other words, their loyalty, their faith to the only true God, whether they would worship and seek after the one true God or they would go to the other gods, their faith would be transferred to the false gods and their assurance would be shaken. Remember the geographical setting? Okay? They are placed in a war zone area, a super highway where the superpowers would just, you know, go there whenever they would attack and go to battle. And their sense of purpose would be blurred because of the cultural influences of the land. That is the setting and that is the reason why Genesis 1 was written to these people. And so there is a need for them to remember their identity. And their identity should be linked and tethered to their master and lord. It's more of whose they are than who they are. And now we will be talking about the whose they are. In Genesis 1, 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The whose they are, the character of God is that He is the creator God. There's no one who created the things of this world other than God. It's only God who created everything. And the word in Hebrew there is bara, to create. But in context of Genesis 1, bara is to create something out of nothing. And in Latin, they have a famous phrase for this. is creatio ex nihilo. Created out of nothing. It's only God who can do that. And the rest are created things and created beings. In other words, these are false gods because they are not cre the creator. There's only one creator who created everything and you should not seek after these gods because they are in the image of created beings. Dog, frog, sun, and so on and so forth. And then he says he created the heavens and the earth. It's everything. Everything on, in, on the heavens and everything in the earth and in the in between god is the sole creator of everything they need to be reminded of this why because god has told them to conquer the land of canaan god has given them the land already and if the owner and the source as the creator would tell you that that is yours what would you do? He is the owner, he is the creator, and he is the source. If he would tell you that that piece of land is yours, then that is yours. Even though you will be facing superpowers of the empires during their time. That's, there's authority there to give them the land. That's like, okay, if I own that car, forgive me, 
Okay? Who's the owner of that car? If I own that car and I have the title, and if I would choose to give that to you, then that's yours because I'm the owner. I'm the source. It's something like that. And they need to understand that. That He is the creator of everything. And if, this, if He is the creator of everything, and if God has given them this piece of land, hindi naman ganun kalaki yung kanaan. Compared to the land of the world, the whole world. And that's yours. And they need to remember that. The second character of God in Genesis 1. That He is a provider God. Genesis 1, he says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And the phrase, And God said, in Hebrew, Vayomer, is repeated seven times in the whole chapter 1 of Genesis. And then after God said, there's also a phrase, Let there be. The verb in Hebrew is Amar. It means to speak, but in context of Genesis 1, it's to speak something into existence. We have brilliant engineers and inventors, right? And they can create a lot of wonderful things. But when they create these things, they would use pre-existing material and they would use tools to create. Or should we say invent something? To invent something out of something. But it's only God who can speak something into existence. That's the power and the authority of God. Let there be light. And, and there was light. Forgive me sa sound. Baka wala namang sound sa panahon na yun. Okay. Basta mayroong light. Let there be light. And it was so. That's how powerful their God is. And not only that, in verse 29, it, said, it says, Let there be seed-bearing plant for you to eat. And God said it was so, and it happened. In other words, God did not just create with His mere words. He also provided for them with His words. In other words, we can trust God for His words. That whenever he would say something, it is true and trustworthy. That we can depend on it. Remember, when they were about to enter the land of promise, they were given the copy of the law or the words of God that they should obey. The question is, would they submit to the law as in at they would take at take that as the word of God or would they rather rebel and obey their own will? Amar, to speak something into existence. This is God saying to them, you go there, you will encounter wars, there will be scarcity, but have faith in me. I will provide for you. He has this palabra de honor. Okay? That whenever God would promise something, even if we will fail on our part, God is willing to deliver His part. That is our God. That is who God is in our lives. The last one is this. I have invented this. Um, 
commissioner God. Okay? He's the one who commissions us. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish, the sea, and over every creature that moves along the ground. And the verb here is barak. And it's to pronounce blessing, hope, and for me, it's a sense of purpose. God blessed them and there is a content to that particular pronouncement, blessing. And the content of the blessing is for them to fulfill a purpose. And what is that purpose? To be fruitful and increase in number. To fill the earth and to rule over the fish, the sea, over every creature. Take note of the word rule over. Everybody say rule over. Hindi yung roll over, ha? Ah, para sa aso natin yun. No? To rule. They were not supposed to bow down to the fish, to the animals, and to every creature. Take note of that. But they have abandoned dominion. They were supposed to be ruling over, but not to be bowing down to the images of the sea, uh, the fish, the animals, and the birds of the air. Because God has set His purposes for them. And it's only man that is created in the very image of God. That's found in verse 26. We are created in the very image of God. And all these things they were created according to the, the idols, the image of what God has already created. Look at the Canaanites God. The image of man. Baal, El, and Atirat. It's in the image of man. Um, the Egyptian gods. They are in the image of the created beings like sun, the frog, and um, the dog or jackal. They're not supposed to bow down to this image. Let me summarize this and, and end here. The Lord our God is the faithful creator who assures us of provision as we submit to his purposes for our lives. I think we should remember this in our crossroad moments as well. That the Lord our God is the only faithful creator who assures us of His provision as we submit to His purposes for our lives. Let me ask you, what are some of your crossroad moments today? What are some of your crossroad moments? Do you see more of the character of God in your crossroad moments or do you see your situation more, the problems more? Do you have many what-ifs in your journey right now? Now, human as we are, we will always have what-ifs because we are finite and we are fallen. What is important is that we have a solid understanding of our identity, not solely based on who we are, but on whose we are. And this is the whose we are. 
we are children and son and daughters of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And the Lord our God is the faithful creator who assures us of his provision as we submit to his purposes for our lives. Whether we like it or not, we are all at the crossroad or transition period of our lives. Yes, God has saved us and our destination is sure, but we are not there yet. We are still waiting for the final consummation of everything, the final restoration of what sin has destroyed. And we are still in the in-between, okay? And in the NT, there's one particular passage that would remind us of who we are, our identity, and whose we are, our belongingness, as we wrap this together. Let's look at Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Look at this. We are familiar with this verse, with this passage, and we know this as the Great Commission. But I want you to look at this passage in view of God displaying His character to us as he commissions us to do discipleship. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth, similar, in heaven and on earth, Genesis 1.1, has been given to me. He's now claiming the same authority with God the Father, has been given to him by virtue of him being the second person of the Trinity is claiming authority and source, being the creator God. In effect, Jesus is claiming to have full authority of everything, making himself the source and the owner. Jesus is the creator God. In verse 19, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is the commission part. Blessing us and commissioning us to do the works of discipleship. And verse 20 says, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Provider God. Why? He's promising His presence, but we know that it's not just the presence, but the provision that comes with His presence. If Remember Moses? He pleaded with the Lord, If your presence presence doesn't go with us then we will not leave this place why because only in the presence of the lord that they get to experience provision of their daily needs and protection from their enemies that's the reality so having said all these what should we do in our crossroad moments i like how the first stanza of one of my favorite hymns would express our action plan for this morning it says this is the lyrics of the song it says when we walk with the lord in the light of his word what a glory he sheds on our way while we do his good will he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey trust and obey for there is no other way to be happy in jesus but to trust and obey. Now I would like to add that to, tru- to, to be truly happy in this life is to have true faith, solid assurance, and a sense of purpose. To have faith, 
to have a solid assurance and to have a sense of purpose. These are the very things that we need in our crossroad moments. We can only have these things if we have a solid understanding of who we are, our identity in light of whose we are, our belongingness. Can we just bow our heads for a moment of prayer as we commit this time before the Lord? Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us, Lord, to ponder upon your word. And thank you for demonstrating who you are, for revealing who you are right there in Genesis chapter 1. You are our creator, God. You are our provider, God. And you are our commissioner, God. That's who you are. And we need to live this life according to that reality. And we thank you because we know that it's not by our own effort that we can do this. We thank you because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit guiding us every day in our crossroad moments to live by faith and to honor you for who you are. Thank you for revealing yourself and thank you for using the scripture to reveal who you are in our lives. We give you praise, glory, and honor in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.